Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. Well, Abundant Life, I uh, don't know if you've heard yet, but there's going to be a pretty big election um, happening in a few weeks. I'm not sure if you knew that. Well, I think you have. But um, a lot of people, as we come to this season and this time every year before presidential election, they want to know our stance as a church or recommendations how we vote. The short answer is no. We don't recommend who you should vote for. And uh, don't believe that that's our job. That's not, of course, because uh, I don't have opinions on the matter, but because, you know, as a pastor, I just want to encourage you, I don't want that to be an indication of what I plan to do to become the litmus test for fellowship at Abundant Life Church. And so I think Christians, though, can, in good conscience, come to different conclusions on this issue and remain in close fellowship together. Amen? that we can have different opinions and still love each other. And I think it's important that we give grace and uh, we show some, each other uh, grace during this time. Amen? And uh, give space, show some grace to each other. And um, when we, I want you to let you know, when we are shaken by the authority of Jesus, we won't be shaken by the chaos of politics. Amen? Are you with me today? It's true. The church does not depend on what happens in Washington, D.C. So, but I want to encourage you is that we are called to pray for our leaders and pray for those in authority. That's what we're called to do. And we should, if you're able to and you're at the legal age to vote, go vote. I want to encourage you, get out there and vote. Do that as a citizen in this great United States of America. I don't think that you have a right to complain if, you're, if you, you don't go vote. You need to go vote. And so go do that. And I want to just encourage you. One thing is fight for religious liberties like never before. That's what we need to do as the body of Christ because they are being taken from us, it seems like, every week in this nation. The hope of the world, whether the first century or the 21st century, is not found in our political decisions, but in the power of Christ through his people. Because God is not building his kingdom in Washington, D.C., it's through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in these days. I love how John Piper said this, one day America and all its presidents will be a footnote in history, but the kingdom of Jesus will never end. So good. But, but no, pastor, who are you voting for? Some of you are like, I really. So I, I just, here's what I got to say about that. I've publicly called for both of them to step down. Some of you, you're not expecting that. <laughs> you didn't think about that one for a moment. I think you should go vote. I think you should pray before you vote and go do what we're called to do. But probably what I'm most thrilled about today in today's message is that it doesn't have much to do about politics, but if you'll understand what Jesus wants us to do in John chapter 17, it will help us in the area of politics. John 17, if you ha- have your Bibles. Now, when I read this, 
I was so overwhelmed with how relevant it was to where we are at right now in the United States of America and in our world. Even now, I feel like the proverbial mosquito at the nudist colony when I preach this passage today. It's like, wow, where to begin? This is going to be so good, okay? And it's such great words. It's the last recorded prayer that Jesus prayed on the night before he died. You know, I've never been with someone on the last night of their life when they were wanting maybe to give their last final prayer. Maybe you have. But I would imagine it's going to come and would come with great clarity as it did for Jesus in this passage. And here's what he wants us to know. Here's what Jesus asked for. It's what Jesus prayed for this last night before he went to the cross and died that you and I should be praying every single night of our lives. And let me say this, that you look at this passage, there are some things Jesus prayed for in this prayer that belongs uniquely to Jesus. He was the Son of God, second member of the Trinity, and so not everything directly applies to us, but there are three things that do apply to you and me as his children that I'm going to talk to you about today. This is his pattern as he talks about it. And you know, you've probably heard me say before, the average Christian prays sometimes crazy prayers, cliches, platitudes, spending most of our time asking God for things which he's already promised to do for us already. Like the prayer, God be with us. And God says, I've promised you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He tells us that. He's just like, hey, read your Bible and stop asking me to just be with you. Or, you know, we think all these things, oh, I'm going to spend my whole time asking God, God, please help me on this test. And the Holy Spirit says, well, did you study? I'd rather use the brains that you have to study. Or, Lord, bless this food. He's like you're eating a half pound hamburger topped with three strips of bacon and onion straws. I can't bless that. Get some broccoli and then you'll have a built-in blessing, right? Stop asking for that. God, give us traveling mercies. I think I've prayed that prayer before. What the heck are traveling mercies? I think God's probably like, put on your seatbelt, drive the speed limit, and stop texting while you drive, right? That's your traveling mercy. That's what you're getting, right? That's what we should be doing. All right, three things Jesus prayed for. The first one, Jesus prayed for himself. In this passage, Father, he says in verse one, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And it might strike you maybe as strange that Jesus opens up this prayer praying for himself. But the key is why Jesus is asking God to glorify him. Glorify me so I can glorify you. And so what happens many times as Christians, we have a wrong view of Christian humility. We think, well, you know what? If we ask God to bless us or help us or to do well, we think that that's not humble. But Jesus asked God to bless him and glorify him. And so let me introduce a phrase to you if that's how you feel. God, I'm asking you to bless me so that I can glorify you. That's a great way to put it. Humility is not seeking for a better life. It's a decision to use whatever God has blessed you with to direct to other people's attention and to give to them and to pass it on. 
I pray for God to raise up and glorify Abundant Life Church, but not for the sake of Abundant Life Church, but I ask that he would do it for his glory. Amen? You can ask that about your own life as well. You say, well, man, that really sounds convenient. You and God both getting the glory. How can you know when you say that it's not really about you? And that's a great question. Let me help identify a few things, a couple things. When God gets glory for himself by exalting someone else beside you, you can see whether you're more concerned about God's glory than yours. Many times we pray a me for me prayer. And this is what Jesus is coming to in this. Many times we pray a me for me prayer. That's not what Jesus did here. A second way you can know whether it's about God's glory is that when you do that, is that when he sends suffering to you like he did to Jesus. Sometimes God brings glory to himself by how jealous, joyously believers suffer. How confident that you remain in your pain and your suffering is a great way inside of that to know whether it's about his glory. It is true that God gets glory when sick Christians get well, but he gets glory when sick Christians die well too, and we don't talk about that very much, right? When we're able to say, even in the midst of our pain, but he gets glory, we know this that he gets the glory no matter what. In the midst of our confusion and disappointment, that I can trust you, God. And people say, why? He says, because God showed me. He's trustworthy. I can trust him on the cross, and I trust in there. I trust him he, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that brings him glory. In that final prayer, Jesus prayed first for himself, but it was a me for you prayer. Most of us pray as if the point of prayer is to get God on our side. Like, God, I'm going to pray and hope drag you across the line that, that, that you'll just come and get on my side. Newsflash, the gospel tells you that he already is. You are his child. He is for you. He has promised to bless you. The question is not whether he's for you. That's been settled. It's whether you are for him. Are you asking me for me? or a me for you prayer. Second, Jesus prayed for his disciples in this passage. Verse six, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Verse 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The bulk of Jesus' prayer is where he spends right here. He's thinking specifically of the 12 disciples. He's praying for his disciples, minus Judas, you can see in verse 12 that he excludes Judas because he knew Judas was going to betray him. And you see, the best way to do this is you're praying for those that are around you. Maybe it's those that are in your group, your small group. Maybe it's those four to six, 10, 12 people that you do life with, and you can pray for them daily. Yes, we're called to pray for our families. It also can be done inside of our small groups. We're praying for those disciples that are around us. I don't think we should feel the pressure to exclude the Judases that are in our group, but, but uh, that may be taking it too far. But before we look at what he prayed for these guys, can I just really quickly say something about the importance here of Christian friendships? Christian friendships is maybe the greatest earthly gift that God has given to all of us. 
that I just want to encourage you with this, that everyone should have at least one close friend, if not a couple, inside of your life. Because many times, as Chris and I talk to people coming into the church, and they're just finding Christ for the very first time, and they've lived a different way in the world, one of the first things that we talk to them about is, as they come through this, is that, hey, you need to get a new set of Christian friends that are believing and are going to encourage you along the pathway. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have unsaved friends, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, but that you would have a close friendship with somebody in Christ. And a couple of ways to do that right here very practically is join our A-team. Be a part of one of our teams here and join them. You'll have other friendships with one another that you can begin to build up your life. And uh, come be a part of one of our ALC groups. We have so many incredible group leaders that are doing an amazing job. Another way to get to know other people is come and be a part of this next steps in our growth track that you heard about just a moment ago that you'll be able to find other friendships in there and people that you'll be able to do life with and people that will pray for you and you'll pray for them. Here's what he's praying. Verse 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He prays not that they would be taken out of the world, but they would be kept by the power of God inside of the world. And see, I want to look at this because there's a warped version of Christianity that seeks to remove itself from the world, that believes that isolation is the only way to avoid corruption. And here's what he's dealing with in this. This is so important. You know, in middle school and then my first year in high school, I went to a private Christian school whose sole goal seemed to keep us isolated from the world as much as humanly possible. We weren't supposed to go see Christian movies because we might be tempted to see R-rated movies. And you know, you can't go to the dance because that's going to lead to other bad things. And we don't listen to rock music. Oh, oh my goodness, don't even listen to Christian rock music because that would make you want to dance and do bad things. And their goal was a good one in the essence of to keep us from being corrupted from the world. But true discipleship is not isolation from the world, as Jesus says here. It's living like Jesus within the world that he has placed us. Right? Because what happens when you remove yourself from the world? You lose, and I lose my evangelistic witness, which is the very reason that God says, I've left you on this earth. So do you know... Do you know somebody today, you know people outside of this church who you're actively engaged in their life that do not know Christ, and can you speak the language of the culture? Not the language of Christian. Can you speak the language of the culture with them? Why is that important? Because a holiness that is disconnected from the world is no holiness at all. Which leads to verse 17. Sanctify them. How? Well, he's saying sanctify, the word set apart or made holy. How? By isolation? No. By your truth. Why? Because your word is the truth. That's what he's saying. So the greatest way to avoid a lie is, after all, to know the truth. Now, is that true? That's true. See, your success in the world, we understand spiritually, and the success of your kids will not be based on how well we isolate them from the lies, but in how much they know the truth. 
Many of you know this in this political season on both sides that people are demonstrating what they think they know and have the understanding about politics. It has shaped them more than what this word has shaped them in their lives, right? The views, the mess, the aggravation, the frustration. But do you want your life to be a success? That's one of the things we talk about in Growth Track is how that God has called you and I to be a successful Christian based on what Jesus Christ has done. We, we want our families, we want our kids to live a successful Christian life. It's unlikely that many of them will ever play a professional sport or dance for a living. It's 100% likely that they will go to heaven or hell. Are you with me, church? It's, that is 100% likely, and it will happen. So we have to make sure that they're prepared for that. So we need to be 100% sure that God has a plan for our kids' life, right? That, that How do we know? If we do Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Now, notice specifically, he's concerned about two things in regard to truth. The first was that they recognize that these words have divine origin. Verse 7, now they know that everything you've given to me comes from you. And I want you, he says, he's saying, I want you to have this confidence and to know this. And the confidence is that, that this book is truth. That the word of the Lord is truth that you and I are called to not just read, but to live every day, that you understand that the word of the Lord is under attack in our culture and sadly in our churches. Are you with me? You know, you know, pastor, preach about heaven, but don't preach about hell. Preach about this because it makes me feel good, but don't preach about that, right? So it's a give and the take, but as we look at God's word, we're called to preach it all, Right? even the stuff that we really like and some of the things we really don't like. But the word of the Lord is under attack in the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ like never before, right? And the voices that are out there. People say, well, you know, Jesus seems legit. I want to be religious and have a relationship with God, but everybody knows that the, everything in the Bible, you know, it's, it's, it's not true. It's written by men. After all, it's full of errors. And that is not true. no. Jesus equated his teachings with the apostles and what they wrote in their words because he promised his spirit would preserve them in the accurate recording of it. In prayer, he wants his disciples and those of us who received the testimony to know that this comes from God, that, you know, this just isn't just a collection of enlightened thoughts and good feelings and good proverbs, but that it's absolutely reliable, and it is a guide to our life, and it is the very words of God. His second concern was that they would take this and that they would internalize it. Verse 8, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted it. Not just had a head knowledge, but they took it in and they meditated on it. So that we can come and say, yeah, God, more than just a head knowledge of your word, I've internalized it. That's why it's important for us to do a quiet time. 
That's why it's important for us to meditate on the word of the Lord, to internalize the word of God, to take the promises of scripture and think about your situations through them. That's the, that's the same reason why we want you to be a part of one of our ALC groups. Some things about God's word are better learned in circles than in rows. And that's a great thing to do. Third, Jesus prayed for his church. It's important. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. A couple of observations on this one. First, notice Jesus does not pray for the world, but for the believers in the world, right? He said in verse 9, I'm not praying for the world, but for those who have, you've given to me. Is that because Jesus didn't care for the world? No, we know that he does care for the world. Jesus came into the world to save the world, John three sixteen. It's because the hope for any community is found in the believers inside of that community. So if, if you want to pray for some group, the best strategy is to pray for God to raise up and strengthen the believers within that group, Right? So, so yes, we're to pray for America and we're to pray for our leaders, but we should pray mostly for the health of churches inside of our community to be salt and light in these days. Well, you say, well, that just sounds selfish. Well, think of it like this. You're on an airplane. They, want you, they, t- they tell you this before you take off. In case of loss of cabin pressure, you're to put your oxygen mask on first. You know, I'm sure we've all thought about that. What would we do if they lost cabin pressure and those come out? What will you do first? And, you know, I've thought about that too. Would I put mine on first? I don't know. Would I help somebody else? But it's really important that we know this. Like, yeah, I want to put mine on first so I can help somebody around me, my wife, my kids, somebody next to me that maybe physically can't put that on. And I want to relate this, know that we primarily pray for God to raise up and strengthen believers in the church so that they can point people to Jesus. The church is God's plan A for working inside of the world. It's the main thing Jesus prayed for on the last night of his life. And by the way, if you're like one of those people, you know, I'm kind of fed up with church because they're filled with a bunch of hypocrites. I just want to reach people for Jesus apart from the church. And let me tell you something. This is happening right now. So I'm going to be a good pastor here for just a moment because this is happening at this church. I'm just going to stay home. I'm planning on staying isolated. I'm planning on just never coming back. And let me just tell you something. If you just think you have a home group or just a a, a home church where you're never connected to the church, you're out of step with Jesus and you're out of step with this word. Because this word says something different. Not only do they meet in groups, they met in the synagogue and they encouraged each other and they were together. So if you really believe just staying home and being isolated forever is the way that you're going to go about it, you're out of step with Jesus, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit get you on that one. Jesus knew more than anybody how messed up the church would be. Judas was a part of his group, and he knew he was a liar, a thief, a betrayer. Peter, he knew he was a coward. He knew that. James and John, well, what seat am I going to have? Thomas wasn't even sure if he believed. That was a part of his group. So yes, the church was messed up, but he prayed for this church, 
And he prayed for us, and the greatest hope is that the world would know the truth, and he knows it, and they know it because of believers in the church living out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so quit being holier than Jesus, right? Yes, the church has problems. Newsflash, so do you. Amen? I'll be the first to admit, I've got a problem, and i got many of them. How about you? How about you, right? Quit being so self-righteous, so self-righteous. That, oh, my, it's just full of, oh, the church has so many hypocrites. You should thank God for that because there's room for you. <laughs> right? So if you find a place where everyone looks perfect in a church, you better run. You better run because we all got problems. That means when you lo- look close here at me, you're probably going to have some issues with me. And you know what? That's life. It's life. Well, yeah, the pastor over there is not perfect. No, not perfect. That's for sure. There's going to be things that you see in me that you don't like. But let me go back to the point. When we pray for our world, the main thing we should pray for is the spiritual vitality of believers in the world. So yes, in this season... Pray for the elections. Pray for the candidates to have a genuine conversion experience. But pray mostly for the churches in our communities. Pray that the church will be healthy. And pray that the church will be bold during these times and this season. Focused on and being clear about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second observation. The one dominant thing from this section that Jesus prays for is that that we, you, and me would internalize God's love. That's a, that, that's a, a profound observation. He's pointing out that you and I would internalize God's love. It's because the hope for any community is found in the believer's love for each other. Verse 26, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He's praying that, that we would love Jesus the way that God loves Jesus, we see that, and we would love others like Jesus loves us, that I in them, that's what he uses, because when we do that, people will know that that is real and that is genuine. Verse 23, I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. How does the world know God is real? Well, it's got to be because of the preaching it's, it's got to be because of the worship. It's got to be because miracles happen because of answers to prayer. It's got to be because how we all vote. No, it's by how we all love. Here's how I see it. Do you, do you remember the superhero show, The Invisible Man? How many of you remember The Invisible Man? You grew up with that. You saw that. You know, I love superheroes too. Uh, you know, uh, I used to dress up in costumes. I still do, but, you know, uh, the, the neighbors get freaked out when I run around in it. But, um, the one superhero whose disguise I could never quite master was the Invisible Man, right? I mean, when you want to make the Invisible Man visible, they would pour paint, dust, something they could see his shape, track his movements. The love in the local church is the paint that makes Christ visible to our lost community. And that love shows itself primarily in two ways. Number one, in how we serve our community. And we love serving our community. Here, Clearbrook, wherever it is in the surrounding area. 
and God wants us to do more of that. But the love Jesus has for us then spills out into the streets, making the invisible Jesus visible. When we take in foster children, we love prisoners, we serve those that are down and out, we befriend political enemies. That's how we make the invisible Jesus visible. Here's the second way his love inside us shows itself through a unity in Jesus stronger than anything that could divide us. I hope you get this. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me. And here's what I want to say. When we lose our unity in the church, it's because something has become more important to us than Jesus. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. If we lose our unity here, it's because we've placed other things higher than the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Some of you, by the tone of what you put on Facebook and your wall during this season or whatever season, demonstrates more about politics than what you really believe about Jesus. And even our tone should communicate the love of Christ. I don't care how right we think we are. How right we think we are. Really? We're that right? Really? Because disunity in the church happens not because we care about politics too much. It's because we care about Jesus too little. See, if we live this way in love and unity with the spirit of Jesus, you know, our evangelism efforts would get a whole lot more effective, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Oh, there's so much disunity out there. Yes, it's come into the church. I'm disunified. Mass versus unmass. Please, I'm not making fun of those. I, I mean, people just can't get together on this thing. We just, you know, no, 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 no. You're wrong. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm not. We got it. This it, politics. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to stand there. I hate you. Sometimes Christians can be the biggest haters out there with one another. We come to this area. We come to this area. We just, you know, it's just sad. It, it is sad what's morphed into the body of Christ that we have let that into the doors of the church. No, 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 no. Because Jesus died for our unity and our purposes that are greater than our own opinions. Because church, at the end of the day, my opinion doesn't matter and neither does yours. It's only what Christ says. Our opinions don't matter. But we sure like to share them. I like to see, I like to see people share this more. I like to see people share the truth more. Things that try to divide us sad. Why? Love on display in the church is the church's most powerful apologetic. John 13, 35, in this final discourse Jesus gave to his disciples, he said, by this will all men know you are my disciples, by how loudly you praise, by how great you preach, no, by how you love each other how you love and forgive and forbear with and serve each other and refuse to be divided from each other. You know, if we did this to the fullest extent with God's help, we wouldn't have to invite people to come to our church. 
They'd be beating down the doors to see what is going on. Who is this powerful, invisible superhero that fills and empowers that church? And then we'd have the opportunity to share Jesus with them. I mean, come on, church. Listen, if we're going to spew hate, please don't share the gospel. That's not good news. Come on. Interesting, consistently in church surveys, the number one answer when asked, why did you come back to a church after visiting? Because the music, because the pastor, because the preaching? No, it's whether they felt loved. That's, that's this church. You know how many times people have come in the doors of this church here, Clearbrook, and people just come in the doors of the church. They know nothing about us. They come in, and yes, a lot of times people come. You've been there as well. I'm going to be judged immediately. Oh, they know me from I'm going to, no, but you know when people come in the doors of the church, it's the number one thing. I felt loved no matter what I did. I felt cared about. They accepted me for who I am. They love me through the most difficult spots. I mean, come on, that's a powerful apologetic. It's powerful. Let me wrap this up by saying this. If Jesus was praying for these things on the last night of his life, you and I ought to be praying these things every single night of our lives as well. And here's why you can pray these things with confidence, because this is an awesome thought. Jesus didn't stop praying this in John chapter 17. He went from this prayer to the cross to make these things possible. And the book of Hebrews tells us that after he was resurrected, he went out and sat down at the right hand of God, constantly making intercession for us. And I'm going to tell you something. That has always gotten me. that Jesus is praying for me right now. That Jesus is praying for you right now. No matter what you're going through today. That he's making intercession for you. And you think that he's forgot about. No, he's praying for you right now and whatever you're going through. He, he knows what you're going through. He knows the mess some of us are in and the, the lies and the things in our life that we just get caught up in and the, and the, the feelings inside and the frustration and the angst and the anger and the bitterness and all that. And he's, I am making intercession for you right now in this room and in this place and throughout this day. And lay, when you lay your head down at night, Jesus is making intercession for us. What is he interceding? These three things. Which means we're not so much praying to Jesus in these things as, as we are praying with him. Some of you have been waiting for your prayer life to take off. Would you stop praying to him and Start pray, praying with him. Would you pray these three things? Because this is what will change us. So yeah, we're called to pray for ourselves that we would glorify the Father, that we would pray for other disciples that are around us and that we would pray for the church that it would be salt and light. I pray for you. Even more importantly, Jesus is praying for you today. 
He's praying John 17 over you right now. I hope you can hear his voice. Will you join him? Let's pray. Father, my heart is overwhelmed that you pray for us now, Lord. That you're praying for us. You see us as your children, Lord, today. And Lord, you care about the details of our heart. You care about everything that we're going through, Lord. Lord, I pray that through this we would, we would stop praying to you and just start praying with you because your word is sure, it's forever, it's settled in heaven, the Bible says. And so, Lord, I pray that today as you're praying over us, that, Lord, we will pray with you and we will join with you. And, Father, I join you in praying, Lord, make Abundant Life Church, one, just as you and the Father are one. Lord, unify our hearts, Lord. Make us one, Lord, so that people around us would want to find you and to follow you and love you, Lord, as they see the love that we have for one another. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com. Have a blessed week.